and stops at a random gas station. As he walks past the payphone, it rings. He answers, it's for him. An airman becomes a prisoner of war in Vietnam. While he endures six years of harsh captivity, a 16-year-old cheerleader prays for him every night. 40 years later, their paths cross in a 55,000-seat baseball stadium. According to best-selling author Squire Rushnell, these aren't mere coincidences, but divine appointments. He calls them Godwings. All right, hey, I'm here to bring you some good news this morning. I've got a bunch. I'm going to start out with some exciting news to share, and uh, I'll offer this birth announcement of Alora Brooks Mueller, born to Pastor Jim in April on Thursday. Uh, baby girl, mom, dad are all doing fantastic and recuperating and loving life at home. So here we get up for that. Five kids, how about that? Five kids, wow, 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 wow. What a weirdo. Five kids. Yeah, I've got five kids myself. The pastor before, Pastor Schultz, uh, they had five kids also. Fendler, I don't know what that means for you, but uh, <laughs> I think I, you know, there seems to be a trend here at Messiah. Hey, dear friends uh, of Messiah and friends of the Messiah, have you ever found yourself thinking about someone, you know, who hasn't crossed your mind in years, and then out of the blue, you just kind of run into that person the very next day, you know, it's like weird, huh? Or, or has something terrible happened, you know, something not so good, like uh, maybe you were laid off from your job, but only to find out that something way, way better opened up just a short time later. Is there anything to this? Was it just, you know, good luck, strange coincidence, or, or maybe perhaps there's uh, something more than meets the eye? And author Squire Rushnell makes the case that there is something more to these seemingly random acts. He calls them Godwinks. And here's kind of the definition of how he got to that term. Uh, on the one hand, there is coincidence, which is a sequence of events that, although accidental, seem to have been planned or arranged. And then you have the word wink, meaning to give a signal or to express a message. And so you put it together and you got a Godwink which then is not a coincidence, but an event or an experience that is so astonishing that it must have come from God. Now, I believe in Godwinks. I have for many years. Uh, I never called them that. Uh, I always kind of referred to them as Scooby Snacks. Um, you know, kind of just something from God, you know, to, to keep you going. Something that uh, is from God that recharges you. And whenever I get one of these, I kind of just say, oh, God, just give me a Scooby Snack, you know. Ruby, 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 off I go. But we're going to stick with the term God winks. You know, it's a, it's a kind of a fun little uh, word there. But um, the idea behind it is actually quite big and really quite wonderful that, that God is real, you know, and that he sees you and that he knows you and he cares for you and that he's with you. Uh, wonderful. The uh, God winks then are, uh, are signs of hope signs of encouragement, there are signs of comfort and certainty. So now God winks, they, they come in all shapes and sizes and throughout our message series, we're gonna explore more than just a few. But this morning, I would like us to see how God encourages us to persevere, to keep going, to stick with it, to not give up, to, to keep walking by faith. 
I recall in February of 2017, I was traveling in a very, very remote part of Uganda. It was, uh, it was kind of a tough time for me personally, you know. I just kind of was the, the sole pastor here and really just kind of anxious about the whole thing, you know. And uh, maybe a little discouraged, maybe I lost a, a little of my joy, too. And I was, I was just kind of really, you know, in one of those funks and kind of thinking about maybe, maybe I should do something else with my life. You know, and, and so I'm riding along in some dusty rural road in backwater Uganda, and kind of we were heading into this sleepy little village there, and I'm just kind of staring out the side window, looking at the trees or whatever it is, and, you know, I'm just kind of thinking about moving or selling insurance or, you know, I don't know. And then out of nowhere, you know, our pickup truck slams on the brakes because a car pulled out just out from, from this building, you know, which is right in the middle of nowhere, just right in front of us. Apparently, both vehicles were not expecting uh, more, another piece of traffic on the, the road in such a desolate place. And, you know, and I looked, we were the only two vehicles for miles and miles around, and here we almost get into an accident. And I, I kind of grabbed the dashboard, I look up, caught my breath, that kind of a thing, and there it was. Three big words which is plastered on the back windshield of the car that was just now directly in front of us. And those three words were, don't give up. Don't give up. Weird. Wonderful. I got the message. I said, thank you, God. I, I needed that. And you do too. Because let's face it, life can be tough. I think it was Rick Warren who said, it's either you just got out of a problem or you're in the middle of a problem or you're getting ready to move into the next new problem. And as such is the case, it can get a little discouraging from time to time. And it, and it may get you wondering, you know, why isn't God helping me out here? You know, does he even see me? Does he even exist? You know, God can seem very far away during those tough, tough seasons. Don't give up. My hunch is that someone in here, or at least maybe even someone's, just really needed to hear those three words today. Don't give up. Now, is that a coincidence? <laughs> Or was that something more? Don't give up. Persevere. And, and surprisingly, God's word says this. He says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking in anything. So it's talking about faith there. Perseverance leads to a development of faith. Did you catch that, though? Whenever, not if, when you face trials and temptations and troubles, we are to consider it pure joy. Oh, really? <laughs> Seriously? Yeah, but maybe not joys and wee, this is fun. No, that's crazy. Uh, but more of a, just a kind of a confident, kind of a relaxed joy, maybe just kind of a quiet, contented joy, because it's an opportunity for faith development. That's what it is. And your faith, believe it or not, is of first importance. 
And so you remember the way it was with Jesus. His ministry begins how? With 40 days of temptation in the wilderness. And Satan made every attempt to get Jesus off track. And of course, Jesus doesn't fall for it, but how? It was a strategy. He holds on to the word of God. That's how he went. Satan must leave. He can't stand up to the word of God. Jesus plows ahead. Three years of ministry. Three years of physical hardship. He had no place to lay his head. Three years of misunderstanding. Nobody got him. Nobody understood him. Nobody knew what he was up to. And then at the end, what a night of testing and trial in Gethsemane, Satan's most opportune time, and he comes, and has anyone ever experienced such relentless, merciless pounding from within and without? It's a brutal assault. And then when those temptations failed, they turned his body into a torture chamber, and we know the result there. And it was amazing grace Jesus prays, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And he's pounded to a cross for our sin. And all hell broke loose on him. And we know the result there. It was amazing trust. And he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then they lowered his body and they placed him in a tomb. And he's dead. He's three days dead. But we know the results. He lives, resurrection. And you see, that's who we're following. We're not following some slick politician who promises to make all our hopes and dreams and wishes come true. No, no, no. We're following King Jesus. And he's quite a different kind of king. And he will work the good in his time. And that's hard to live with sometimes. Don't give up on Jesus. Or how about this example? You consider the life of the Apostle Paul. You know, his life, oh man. His whole deal was marked with adversity and persecutions. He'd beaten and then he stoned and shipwrecked and imprisoned. And, and he had this thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that was. It was bad eyesight or something else. Every kind of drama and trouble that you can think of, and yet none of it had the power to push him off of his path. How is this possible? None of those circumstances convinced him to give up. None of it persuaded him to stop. Why? How come? He knew Jesus. That's how. He knew the one who gave up his life on Paul's behalf. He lived by grace, and so he could rejoice. Uh, what did he write? Uh, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. There's that word. And perseverance then develops character, okay? And character then, hope. And hope does not disappoint us. But you get to hope because of character, and you get to character because 
because of perseverance, and you get the perseverance because of suffering. So you don't get the hope, really, until you start with the suffering. Ugh. But hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Now, let's be very clear here. Paul did not rejoice because of the sufferings. Like, no, that's weird. But he could rejoice through it. Not because of it, but, but he could through it. He had this hope, and we have been given this hope. And it's not in the things of this world, because these things aren't going to last, any of it. These circumstances aren't going to last. And Paul had his eyes locked on something which was outside of himself, outside of his circumstances. He zeroed in really on Jesus. And what did he write to the Philippians? He said, I've got my eyes on the prize where God is calling me to Jesus, onward to Jesus. I'm off and I'm running and I'm not turning back. No matter what. Don't give up persevere. The way of faith is not a fad. Faith in Jesus works, and it works because he's been tested, and he won. He won the victory, and here's more good news, that Jesus is more than capable, and he's more than willing to help you, to bless you in your time of need. You consider that beautiful statement of faith which we spoke just moments earlier from the Apostles' Creed. We said a lot of words, but I believe in Jesus Christ who rose again from the dead, who ascended into heaven, and who sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. What does that mean? The right hand. That means He's sitting in the position of power. That's what that means. It means God's got this, which means you can relax. Why? Here's why. Tim Keller says, the man who died for you, who still has the nail prints in his hands, the one, the signs of his suffering, the signs of his love for you, he is actually the one in control. And he is in charge of everything, and he sits at the right hand of the Father, and so you can relax. And here's something else you can do, and that is to read God's word. I would say do that especially because it's more than a wink. It's clear. It is direct. His word to you. He is speaking to you. He is giving you a message. And the message is he's with you. And he's for you. And so you read his word. And then I would I'd also say, just kind of keep your, your eyes and maybe your ears open. Kind of got to lean forward. Because a lot of times God whispers. And you got to pay attention. You got to look. And this is what I tell people to do. Especially when they're going through a really tough time, you know. Maybe a, I'm talking a serious time. It might be relationally, you know, things are busting up, not looking good. Or maybe it's financially. It's like, man, we lost, you know. Or maybe it's physically. Like, oh, we just got a bad diagnosis, and et cetera. I, and here's what I say. I say, I said, read God's word. I said, then also keep your eyes open, okay? And your ears. Because 
God is going to be sending you some very strange coincidences. God winks. And you're going to be amazed. And I think God is always, every day, trying to get through to us. But pay attention. And we usually start paying attention when we're going through a tough time. When everything's great, we really don't, you know, need God. We don't really look for him and all that. But when you're going through a really tough time, that's when you start, okay. And you'll see it if you pay attention. You know, he's going to be showing you some stuff that he's with you. And it might be something like a literal bull, a billboard or a sign or something like that. Or, or maybe if you're into the Cardinals, let's say. And maybe, you know, it's like, well, weird Cardinal sitting in my mailbox for some reason. What's he doing there? I was in Michigan about a month ago. And, uh, and uh, you know, I was, I was in the, you know, the whole group was up front. And I went to the back. And I just had a little prayer. I'm like, God, it's so cool. It's so good. Yo, look at all this nature and all this, this beautiful stuff. Thanks for this time, et cetera, et cetera. This is great. And uh, if you want to send me a Scooby snack, that would be just great, too. And then I walked to the front of the house there. And all of a sudden, this, this, I got buzzed by this butterfly. The only butterfly I saw the whole week. This monarch butterfly. went, And I went, hmm, is that something? I think it was, because I asked for it. I don't know, you start paying attention, all of a sudden it gets weird. You know, you turn on the radio, and that's your song, you know? They do that a lot on Joy FM, by the way. It's like, but that was just a song I needed at the right time, you know? But is there something to it? I think there is. It's, it's weird. It's wonderful. Keep your eyes open. Keep your ears open. Even if you're not going through a tough time, but I bet you are. I'll tell you a story. I tried not to be here today, and I know I told you way earlier about 2017 in Uganda, I was thinking about selling insurance or something like that. And I got the don't give up. But here's the thing, that, that wasn't my first time. In fact, I wanted to give up even before I got started. It was the summer of 1998. Ooh. I've been trying to sell my house for many, many, many months with no luck. In fact, not a single person even dared to take a look at our home on Clay Street in the heart of Collinsville, Illinois. You see, I had just entered the seminary in Clayton, and I was a full-time student, and so we really, really needed to sell the house so we could live off the proceeds. And at the time, I was 32 years old, I was married, I had two little girls, and uh, I was taking a course called Summer Greek. And Summer Greek is a nine-week course, a class designed to give each student a working knowledge of the uh, original language in which the New Testament was written. And besides that, pastors, you know, we need to throw out some Greek words every now and then, kind of makes us look smart, you know, you got Aquarius, that's Greek for aquarium, you know, that kind of makes me look smart, right? Uh, and so you learn. Greek. You learn Greek. And the way it went was class starts at 8 in the morning and then uh, it goes till noon and that's five days a week and there's daily lectures and daily quizzes and for me daily failures. It wasn't my thing. Here's a picture of my textbook. <laughs> which was written by the guy who was teaching the class. Oh, Great. You see, the help me there. That, that was no joke. That was, no, that, was a ser that was a prayer is what that was. And I needed it. I was in the greatest challenge of my life. Uh, languages are not my thing. I can barely do the English language, right? And uh, the thing was, uh, I had wanted to live on campus. You know, they've got married house in there. And uh, I wanted to do that. But, but uh, you know, we, we didn't sell the house. And 
And so I had to commute each morning from Collinsville, and I, I kind of gave up on the whole idea, and I took the for sale sign down, and, uh, and every day I would just drive to school, and I'd sit in class, and I'd take notes and fail a quiz, and then I'd go home and write out about 100 flashcards, you know, to memorize and pour over the day's lesson kind of thing. And, and get this, I, I'm not, not a, you know, I would study, get this, kids, 1 p.m. to 1 a.m., every day, and I was still failing. The professor said that learning Greek is like watching toast or watching bread become toast. You got to wait for it. Be still and wait. Try this at home, kids, with adult supervision if you need adult supervision for a toaster. But uh, put a piece of bread in the toaster, and then I want you to watch it. And what's interesting is that bread doesn't become toast slowly or gradually, right? No, it's not like that at all. You put the, you watch the toaster, you put the bread in, and then you look, and nothing happens. And you look, and nothing happens. And you look a long, long time, you look, and it's bread, 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 still bread. And then there comes this magical moment when all of a sudden that bread becomes toast. And that's what it's like to learn Greek. You get toast at the end. Easy to say, tough to do while you're waiting and you're being still. Now, one thing you don't really need to know about me, but I'm going to tell you, I'm kind of a neat nick. I, I just kind of a neat, not a freak, but a neat nick. Um, you know, so much so that before I can study or anything, you know, I have to have my surroundings in order, you know. Kind of weird, uh, but when I'm stressed out, um, what I typically do is I run around the house and I straighten things up. You know, I, I do the dishes, that kind of thing. Just, yeah. It's probably some psychological compensation for gaining control or something like that if I had to play armchair psychiatrist, you know. Uh, and so every day I would come home from Greek class and, you know, defeated, you know, kind of down, and I'd rearrange my sock drawer or something like that. And then I'd sit with my books and I got all my note cards, which happened to face this picture window kind of a thing, which overlooked my backyard. Oh, we had pine trees back there. We had an above-ground swimming pool, which I didn't have time to swim in anymore or clean. The kids' sandbox I built, this really big sandbox. They had all these, these plastic toys, you know, and it was right connected to the uh, detached garage. We lived in an older home. It was, like, so old that the garage was actually referred to as a carriage house, and that meant it didn't have any doors or electricity hooked up to it. It's like a really nice big shed is what it was, but it was really big. And anyway, you know, after everything, I was all straightened up, then I could, okay, hit the books, and I had to hit them. Because the deal is, at the end of the nine weeks of Greek class, if you don't pass the test, you don't move on. And then you have a choice to make. It's either you quit the seminary altogether or you start over. Yeah, a lot of guys quit, and I'll tell you what, I tried to bail out. I did, man. I, went, I tried to get my old teaching job back. I'm like, this ain't working out. Guess what? My spot was already taken. Everyone is replaceable. Hmm. And so I had to pass. I had to. Everything was on this stupid test. I had to pass. I couldn't afford to start over in every nine weeks. I couldn't afford anything. I just bought a new car. Yeah. I didn't want to buy the car. 
but twice the car that I was commuting with had died on the, on the big bridge getting into St. Louis. Isn't that great? Which made me miss class, which didn't help me know Greek and didn't get me any points with Dr. Veltz. And so I went home and I went to Collinsville, uh, uh, Jack Schmidt, and I said, hey, Jack, what do you got? What's the cheapest thing you got? He said, Chevy Metro. All right, I'll take it. There I was, no job, accumulating debt, failing Greek, and I was stuck. It was like I had something working against me. You know, all I wanted to do was serve the Lord. You know, shouldn't he be on my side? I was just an ordinary guy who felt called, but now I wasn't so sure about that. And I was discouraged, like big time. You ever see a grown man cry kind of time, you know? Why, God, aren't you helping me? Where are you? I was halfway through failing summer Greek. The date was July 5th. Around two in the morning, I woke up to the sound of someone frantically pounding on our front door. Startled, freaked, I ran downstairs, I opened the door, and a guy is screaming at me to get out of my house because it's on fire. Apparently, some youth were goofing around with their leftover fireworks, and they were shooting them off in my garage. And so I ran upstairs, and Mary was awake too, and we each grabbed a kid, and I paused, I did. I, I looked out the window, and I can still picture it perfectly in my mind's eye. The whole backyard is engulfed. The garage was just <clears throat> ablaze. It was an inferno. And after the fire trucks came, they were there for a few hours, and they left. There was just this soggy, messy, muddy, depressing darkness that covered the entire backyard. Everywhere you looked, the garage was just a pile of smoldering ash and the kids' toys, these little plastic slides and baby swings they were just melted and deformed. It was weird. And the pine trees were just charred sticks. There was not a needle left. The above-ground swimming pool had burst. There was vinyl siding dripping down from my study window, which was exactly the thing that would cause a neat nick like myself to lose focus on the task or at least lose his mind. And so in utter despair, I drove to the seminary that morning. Gotta get the Greek class. That doesn't end. Just kinda in the fog, you know. You get bad news, you just kinda walk in that daze, you've been there. And I'm walking the campus trying to get the Greek class. And and here comes the, the new dean of students. He just kind of got there, and, and we were the only two people in the quad there, and just kind of our paths are crossing, and, and he does the old, hey, how's it going? And I said, hey, not so great. I said, man, I'm failing Greek, and, I, uh, and I, uh, my house, my garage, my garage, not the house, my garage just kind of burnt to the ground, and, you know, he says, hey, well, here's what you should do. You should live on campus. And I said, I can't afford it because I have this house that I can't sell. 
And he told me, he goes, why don't you go down to the housing office and speak with the director and tell her that I said that you can live on campus rent-free until your house sells. He goes, don't go to class, just go to the housing office. I said, okay, you're the boss. And I met with this woman in the office there, and I told her my tale, and she heard me out. And this wise older woman, man, she looked me straight in the eye, and she said, honey, she says, this kind of thing happens to you fellas all the time. I'm like, what? Oh, yes. She says, with all seriousness, she said, don't you know that the devil don't want you here? He don't want you being a pastor preaching in some church someday. Like, huh. I never thought of that. This is actually the first time in my life I actually considered that I had an enemy who was working against me. Well, I'll tell you what, I also came to realize that I have a gracious God who is working the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I went back home that day after class and I, I went to the insurance man, you know, and they told me that they were going to build me a new garage with doors. And then I went to the real estate agent and I put up a for sale sign in that front yard again. And that house sold the very next day for more money than I was originally asking for in the spring. And that was wonderful. But looking back at it now, I can tell you that the best part was the faith development that I received. Because I, I know suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope and hope does not disappoint us but the household the next day less than 24 hours sold the mailman bought it yeah he had just one question his one question was this are you getting a new garage with doors he said he always admired our house, always liked it, but he never considered buying it because of the garage. Apparently, he did a lot of woodworking, and he really needed a garage with doors and electricity. And that's how we sold the house. Now, hey, and when it came to Greek, well, let's just say the bread turned to toast just in the nick of time. <laughs> I had, it was the weirdest thing for one hour. Like God gave me the gift of Greek, you know, and just enough to pass the exam with an 82. And uh, after that, uh, I passed that test. I, I, I ran you know, in the seminary. They got that, that pool, that little fountain, that wading pool or whatever. You know, it's like one of those fountain things. And I jumped in it. <laughs> I did. I jumped in. And then, and from what I understand, they, I started something there. And they do that now every, every, after class. If you pass the test, everyone goes and jumps in the the water. That's how I got to be a pastor. So I'm here. And the de no, 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 they pay me. They pay me. Yeah. But I'll tell you, the devil don't want me here. Right? He don't want me here. 
But I'm glad to be here. And I can speak from experience. But admittedly, I forget from time to time. Actually, a lot of times, I forget. And maybe that happens to you too. And so I'm glad that you're here today. Because by the way, the devil don't want you here either. You know, I read uh, somewhere that statistically, half of you were thinking of not coming today. Yeah. You were tempted to stay away. But you're here. Developing your faith. And God is good. And God wanted you to get the message that he sees you that he's with you. Don't give up. Persevere. And I will say, keep your eyes open. Amen. But you please stand.